Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. Never Ever Give Up Hope is a show about people who have done just that. No matter what happened, they did not give up. Many of my guests have survived horrendous circumstances and have overcome incredible things in their lives and have become better people because of it. Many have survived extreme poverty, abuse, or serious depression, or diseases, or losses that they never thought they could cope with losing, whether someone they love or their business. There's a lot of pain out there. And one thing that I am so happy to do is to share their stories. Because everybody has a story. And when they share that, you never know who you are going to help. That's why this show is now in 140 countries because there are people all over this world that want to hear stories of other people's success. And that's what we do. And I thank my guests and I certainly thank my listeners because without you guys, we wouldn't have a show. With me today, I have Jacqueline Carlisle. She is the editor-in-chief and creative director of ThinkMag, which is an online digital glossy for sustainable living. Hmm. I looked at it and it is beautiful. You guys are in for a real treat today when you look at, at Jacqueline's website. Now this part really intrigued me about her bio. When she was a month old, her family moved to Singapore by the way of India and she started to write at two years old. Now there's a lot of two-year-olds that can't even talk. So I thought this was really interesting and I'm very anxious to hear what Jacqueline has to say about that. As I mentioned, your website offerings are absolutely phenomenal and I can't wait to share them with my audience. There's beautiful styles and they're all eco-friendly and accessories so this is going to be a fun day and I appreciate so much of you sharing with us today Jacqueline welcome thank you Carol it's been a long road to get to you truly it's like trying to get an audience with the Pope with me wasn't it but 
we're finally connected after many years of trying to sort this out. Has it been that long? Oh, my goodness. I know. It is amazing. It really is. But the show is called Never Give Up. There you go. And that is exactly <laughs> what happened here, too. It <laughs> didn't give up. And that's why it's going to be even that more special, right? True. Special. Absolutely. Yeah. You, it sounds like you were born to be a writer. Well, tell me what about this whole two-year-old writing business? This is intriguing to me. It, it really, it really is. I, I don't know why I, I, it took, it stuck. I think my mother decided one day to um, teach me a word. I was, I was walking around with, with at two years old with these huge bags with all sorts of odds and sods in there and I still am the same person I'm just taller I still walk with a big bag (laughs) with lots of odds and sods I've got pens and writing material and she said that's what you used to carry balls of twine and pieces of this and that and ribbons and whatnot and I I I, I, she decided she just for a laugh she'd teach me a word I was relentless she said you wouldn't go to bed until you learned how to write that word and that was it it wow. just was something that it, it just, I don't know, it really, it really took hold of me and gripped me. Uh, even as a, a, my, my, my cousin, who we, we were growing up as sisters in England, actually, after we came back to England, my cousin and her, her mother had moved in with us. And we were talking uh, this year and she said, I, you know, she goes, I remember when you were small, you would say, I'm going to work at the Chronicle and Echo, which was the newspaper in Northampton. And you would take your little satchel and you would go in the other room and pretend you were the newspaper. She said, you, you, she said, you've always done that. You've always, always. And I always wrote, even if I didn't publish anything, I did publish a poem when I was a child. But I, it wasn't about publishing, it was about writing. I've kept a diary since I was 10 which I think if I die tomorrow, somebody will have a field day looking through all those, all those volumes. And I still write in a diary, not every day, but I write uh, quite frequently. I still am an old school writer. I keep a pen and a, and, a, and a book with me. I have a couple of books on the go. I have a little one. I have a small, medium and large, depending on what I'm carrying. Uh, so it was, it was something that I hadn't pursued at all um i kind of you know life throws you curves right and you go down another road and it wasn't until um it wasn't until the uh, the year of 9-11 actually i was back in england and uh i hated my job i was with my then partner who's quite lovely and we're, we're friends today he told me to quit my job, which I thought was insane because we were on the brink of a breakup. And uh, he persuaded me over dinner to quit my job, which I did. So I became um, a trophy flatmate, I called it, where I would, you know, just take care of the house and him. And one day I saw a lottery, which, I mean, it's, it was just insane that this happened because they didn't, they've never done this again. Elle magazine had a lottery when they used to have a book review uh, section in their magazine and this lottery just write about a, re- a book uh, that re- review a book that you really love send it in if you were chosen you would become a book reviewer for a year I became obsessed with Catcher in the Rye I hadn't read a lot of American classics and I'd lived in a flat 
in uh, where somebody had left the book. So I didn't even buy the book. Catcher in the Rye was just left in my in my apartment years prior. So I brought it with me. It was all tattered and worn, and I still to this day is one of my favorite books because of the story attached to this book. So I wrote. I read it several times. I became a bit obsessed about the story. I thought the story was amazing. I thought, I thought the author. There was all sorts of mystery shrouding this author. This became very intriguing. So of course I wrote my review on that book, sent it in. Didn't think anything of it until I got an email that said I was chosen and I was going to get unedited manuscripts and tralalas for a year. And I thought this is insane. <laughs> no kidding. I thought, wow, and that kind of got the ball rolling. I ended up, uh, I ended up um, seeing an ad for a magazine. Actually, funny enough, in Philadelphia, it was an independent magazine. It was all pre-social media when, God, yes. printing print was just so such a glamorous um, position to, to hold. Yes, and uh, there was a number of independent magazines that were doing extremely well during that time and uh, uh, this gentleman Jay in Philadelphia he was starting an independent magazine and it looked quite good and I thought oh I'll just write and see but I doubt he'll choose me and he did and I came on board and I sort of worked my way up and really learned the ins and outs as I went I mean I didn't intend to to go in but I find you know if you're meant to do something whether you get thrown off that path or not, if it's truly your calling, the path finds you. Absolutely. It'll find you again. It will always find you again. And it's up to you to take that opportunity and run with it. Even though you may think you're going to be an absolute flop, you need to go and run with it and see where it goes. As I mentioned in the beginning of the show, everybody has a story. Is the things that we go through are the things that make us who we are. And we wouldn't be the people we are if we had not gone through those things, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent. Now, there were two events in your life that were quite traumatic, and I'd like to share those before we talk more about who you are today. The first one was an abusive marriage, and I know that there will always be people that will relate to those who have gone through, especially women, in an abusive marriage. And he didn't even want you to write and this was your no. first love which is obviously from what you do I mean you can hear it in your voice it's your passion so how did you overcome that and tell us a little bit of that story oh boy I um, I <laughs> I honestly didn't know at the time I really didn't know how I found myself in this position until years later when I I, I came to the realization that I attracted this person because I have been taught this behavior. You know, we're taught how to be treated from quite small. You know, you're programmed quite at a quite a young age. So if you're, you know, I, I mean, my mother, I mean, I, I love my mother, I always will, but she's quite a narcissist. And I, one day the penny just dropped and thought, my God, I've married my mother, who's somebody who's never going to support anything that I, I'm doing is never going to give empathy when required is is going to expect um, himself to be revered and on top and I mean this wasn't my I'm not that kind of person I'm, I'm a difficult person to put to, to, to push down I will always get back up 
I'm 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 Taurus the bull. I'm stubborn as hell. Don't tell me I can't do something or get in my way. And uh, you know, it, it became very small. Where you know, he would I would be isolated. He would isolate me. He wasn't interested in meeting anybody or introducing me to anybody. He wanted us to stay indoors all the time. It was very odd. And when you're, you know, when you when you bring somebody close, in, like I always say, when you bring someone into the temple you're vulnerable and you're trust you're trusting that person because your guards down you're expecting a partner to be, you know just just be supportive and, and 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 be happy for you to build you know a really great relationship and I, I i realized as i went through this wasn't the case it was every single day i was being lied to there were things being hidden i uh was not acknowledged at all. The relationship wasn't, this relationship fell on my shoulders. There was nothing coming back. And it started with verbal abuse and then it started to get a little more aggressive until uh, one evening it got really nasty and uh, he tried, uh, I think he tried, I'm trying to remember if he tried to choke. Yeah, he did actually try to choke me, and uh, I went to bed thinking I'm going to make I'm going to make some clear decisions in the morning. Like I'm not going to deal with this now. So I went to bed, and I thought I was going to go to sleep when he came in and picked up the bed and threw me out of the bed. And that scared me no kidding. to death. It scared me to death. I picked up the phone and called the police. And uh, they came, and I, uh, I think I hit him with a Timberland boot or something. I do remember finding back. I know. I do remember finding back. Uh, but I remember the police came. They separated us. They examined me. Of course, I know my neck. Like, it looked like I had been attacked. And uh, they couldn't decide. And I, I couldn't believe this. I make the phone call, and they can't decide who to arrest. Where was this? Here in Toronto. Oh my goodness. Now I found out later, uh, it's the Crown who makes the decision. And in this, in this country, this is countrywide, I found this out uh, much later, that if a woman does fight back, they can arrest you as well. And that's exactly what they did. They took us both in. So you're not allowed to be of any self-defense? The majority of women that are sitting in prison today that fought back, fought back because they hit their wall. And they're in prison. I found this out going through this process. And it was, I mean, it was, I think about it now, I'm not, I'm not ungrateful for the process. I'm actually quite grateful for the progress process because I became a bit of an advocate for women and children mm. in crisis because in, unless you're, you know, unless you're a quick thing I'm a quick thinker I'm not a panicky person so when they were taking me in I, I thought you know what I'm not taking my wallet with me I'm not taking anything I'm not going to make this easy for them I'm coming home I'm in and out because this is up you shouldn't be arresting me I, I, I said I want to speak to a lawyer so you can't you can't uh, question me right and, sh and sure enough I came home and actually came home on the police's dime I told them they had to drive me home because I left purposely left my money at home. I'm not a panic. Like I said, I don't panic. I think 
for once, every one thought my husband was having, I had four thoughts past his. And he stayed in, in prison. And then he was moved to, he stayed in that local jail. And then he was moved to the big uh, prison, the Don Jail here in Toronto. And uh, the next day, I got a barrage of phone calls from women in crisis, women who have been abused. I got a, I got a phone call from the courts telling me that they've moved my husband. I got, I mean, I just, I couldn't believe how many phone calls, which didn't make sense because I'm the one who got arrested as well, but now you're giving me all this support. Mm. So what was the outcome? So the outcome was he actually fled the country and I have a, I have a law I, I pay for law services per month, so I had access to a lawyer already. I mean, it was, that was a saving grace. Mm-hmm. I told my lawyer he was going to run. I knew he was going to run, and I was like, well, I don't really care what you're doing, because now it's just me versus you. And my lawyer, the, the courts wanted me to um, go to anger management courses. <laughs> I, I know. I just, I just thought... Go to anger management courses, and then my uh, there wouldn't be a record, right? It would be scrubbed, and I re- didn't want to. My lawyer had got the he, he got the discovery back from the incident, and my lawyer said they don't have anything. He read through the whole incident. He said they don't have anything. He said so. What I would suggest to you is just stall, delay, go to court, and say yes, I'll do anger management. Then you have to go back into court for your anger management date. So next time you go back in, you say, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to go, I'd rather go to trial. So I kept doing this with oh. months of, <sighs> I know, month, a good two months, no, good months sort of going back and forth until my husband left the country, as, I, as my lawyer asked me to do. And once he left the country, I went back into court and uh, I, no, I, uh, my lawyer advised me to speak to the, um, Crown Prosecutor, I made an appointment to speak with the, a lovely man, very handsome by the way, gosh, he's gorgeous, quite a, quite a dish considering the situation, and I went to the court, in, I remember in the afternoon I went to see him, and I said I'm happy to go to trial, he said we can go to trial, I said there's nothing there, I said I read, we read the discovery so you don't have enough, he said well we may, he said there'll be witnesses, I said there's no witnesses, I said you and neighbors are hearsay. So I said, I don't think you have anything else. He said, well, I can't just make this go away. And I said, well, then we need to come to an agreement. He said, and he said, are you making a deal? You want to make a deal? I said, yes, I do. I said, I'm not going to sit in an anger management class with, with thugs and God knows what else for a week losing money. I said, it's not going to happen. And he said, okay, you find a therapist of your choosing. You go to three therapy sessions, you bring me a letter that you've gone, and we'll wipe it clean. And that was the end of that, wow. more or less. And I actually stayed in therapy for a while. I thought, you know what, this is an opportunity to really hash some, because I want to know, how did this happen to me? I, right. At that point, I kept thinking, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? How did this happen? And, and I wanted an answer to why that happened. And I stayed with my lovely therapist for a year. She was a beautiful lady. And it dawned on me that, you know, I was, I, I've been taught to, to accept that behavior. I've been taught a long time ago to accept that behavior. And that's why I attracted that behavior. 
Interesting. I, I know. It really is. I mean, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not going to, I don't know what it is for everybody who's, who's gone through, because I know there are tons of women who have been in abusive relationships. And my God, it runs the gamut from very poor ladies to very rich ladies. Yes, I know that. I can't, I couldn't believe yes. that surprised me that it doesn't matter what the income bracket or social status is, it's affecting so many women. And most of them don't have the power to leave, the, the means to leave, the support to leave, which I think is just, and then they've been, they've been ripped apart, you know, mentally, that they're just incredibly shattered. That was probably a pivotal point when, when you were released from being under his um, control. But then how did you get yourself back? What did you do? I, Other um, than you, I know you had therapy, and that was probably part and parcel to it. But you are a strong woman. That's very obvious from what you've said. So was there something in particular that you did to gain your self, self-worth back? I don't know if myself, I, I think I just had to gain back my my. Uh, the, a feeling of a feeling conscious. Okay. I felt okay. I felt really numb. I wasn't I wasn't really here. I was here physically, but I I wasn't here, and I couldn't write. That was horrible. That I couldn't. Mm. I, that 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 was the key thing. I remember telling my therapist, I said I can't write. I couldn't write for almost a year, and that broke my heart because this is my first love. That really that hurt me more than I think anything else. And she said to me, I'm not surprised that you can't write. <laughs> she said, considering what you've gone through, this is pretty normal. And I thought, well, yeah, but that's, you know. Not normal for you. Not normal for me. Nothing stops me from writing. Mm-hmm. Well, this did. This, right. this did. And this broke my heart. And then the next year, it was just a barrage of death. Yes, that was my next question. So how did that happen? Was it accidental or just... No, no, it was just a lot of elderly people. Um, I, it started with my uncle dying. I think he died uh, He died before his birthday. So I think he died in March. And then I had another death in uh, June. And then uh, there was two deaths in, I think, in September. We couldn't... We had to kind of break up as a family because we couldn't be in two places at once. It's like, well, this group will represent over here and we'll go over here to represent over here. And it was it was just one after the other, after the other, after the other. And then the next year, the same thing. Every couple of months, there was a death, there was a death, there was a death, there was a death. And having that many people die, people that I really loved and admired and, and enjoyed die gave me a sense of clarity I can't let all these deaths be in vain like they can't be for nothing and for the last this was three years of just turmoil and 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 pain and abuse and you know just I, I just and I did I just couldn't believe what was what was going on and I thought that I can't I can't it can't be in vain it can't I have to find a way. It wasn't until I had actually took somebody out. She was feeling very blue, and I thought I'd take her out and cheer her up. And she said something to me that I was very peculiar. And she said, you know, you sound a lot like I've always been a fairly optimistic person. I'm even in the darkest hour, 
I would feel that I could still, I know this is going to pass. I'd always say this is going to pass. This is going to get better. I'm going to start writing. Things are going to fall into place. I always say that. I still say that to this day. But the difference now is, is how I talk to myself is way different than when I, when I did them, when I realized how powerful words are. And I, I mean, I, I'd always respected words. I have deep respect for words. Words for me, are, I honor words, but how powerful what, you, what you're saying to yourself, how much power that can have. And that changed everything. I started practicing a different, I started like unlearning a lot of things and relearning, like reprogramming my mind. So through this, is that how Think Meg was birthed? No, Think Mag came on board before my husband. Oh, you're um, kidding. No, it came on before my husband. I actually, my the, the magazine that I worked for out of Philadelphia had folded in the middle of the night <laughs> and we were out of a job. Like many magazines had folded when social media really exploded. Yes. I, I had so many people around me said, why don't you just start your own magazine? I said, you're mad. I said, no, it's, you know, it's a very expensive venture. There's a high, high failure rate. I thought, no, absolutely not. But I uh, kept hearing the same message over and over and over from anybody who was either in publishing or around that area in a creative realm that I knew that was working in a creative and in media kept saying, why don't you just start your own? Why don't you just start your own? Let's just say it like it's so easy. Hmm. So what did you do? So I thought, you know what? At the time, it was a million dollars to start a print magazine. I mean, it still probably is around that amount of, of money or more to float your magazine for five years. I knew that if you wanted to succeed, okay. I thought, well, I, I thought, well, that I can't. Well, I thought, I can't, I can't do that, which is crazy today because I realized what I had said then. But even though I, I shouldn't have said that, I should have said, I can do that. It doesn't matter. The million will come. Because the million will show up if you believe it will come. It'll come. But I didn't say that. I thought, oh, I don't, can't afford to start a print publication. La, la, la. And then I had, um, I was in London. I was working. Um, I had uh, got back on, on, on board uh, crewing for Fashion Week. And I was at um, Hussein Chilean's uh, show. It was, uh, I think he's from Turkey originally, but he, he shows this collection in England, lives in England. He did a collection on weather and entire collection, all the clothes had morphed into something like a hat with a, a scarf would drop out of the hat, long dress would turn into a short dress. It's all just done like literally by magic. It happened on runway. It was fascinating. And I, and I, something said, you know, due to the environmental changes in weather that I think is going to grow what is wearable technology and I started investigating it a wee bit I thought okay if I'm going to start a magazine how can I start a magazine with no real money I thought you know maybe I should try I should try a blog or something maybe I'll do a digital thing so I started going down that rabbit hole and um, I thought you know I don't want to just be a fashion magazine because my, my background I had a lot of um, experience in in design in general 
uh, I thought, and, and design architecture has always been important to me, coming from England, I mean, architecture is stunning, you know, it's always very important, history is always very important, so I thought I started a design magazine, um, I thought, what can I do, I want it to be, I want it to have integrity, I want it to be sustainable, I thought, oh, sustainability, oh, I should look at that, maybe I should look at that, and I remember I was at a fashion show here in Toronto, starting the magazine, got the name the name came out of nowhere i sat and brainstormed with a friend of mine we sat there all day killing ourselves trying to find the name and one day it just popped out of nowhere and the url was available it was bizarre i thought this is not going to be available the url and it was and i was at a fashion show and uh, it was makeup artists i'd worked with in the past and he, he said, what are you doing these days? I said, oh, I started a magazine. I'm starting a magazine. He said, what's it on? I said, oh, sustainable design and wearable technology. He goes, oh, that's never going to fly. <laughs> and I said, all right, then. I thought, you need to start reading more. <laughs> that's what I thought. And that was, you know, years ago. And, and it just one thing fueled the next, that fueled the next, that fueled the next thing. I, I was really surprised who I got to work with. I, work, I collaborated with the British Museum through this magazine and they found me. I was very surprised because I didn't have a massive following. And you don't really need a massive following. You do need a really good, you know, just high quality content in a niche market with a, a good following. And I um, worked with Noel Furniture, which is amazing. Got to beta test and review this chair that they flew up for me, uh, it was in this massive box. It was like a small apart Japanese apartment. This box was huge. <laughs> I thought, you've got to be kidding. Um, and it, it just things just fueled. I've worked offline quite a bit through the magazine, which I, I like. I mean, I, I don't mind working digitally, but because it's a wee bit isolating. But the um, the type of opportunities I got to work on offline has been. Amazing. And I, through my marriage, I remember telling my husband, I said, you know what? You get in the, in the way of this magazine and this marriage is over. And I've said that and I've stuck by that from day one. Anybody that gets in the way of this magazine growing or me doing what I love, it's done. We're done. You are a woman with a purpose. I am a very, you know, I could, it could take me 20 years to decide what I want to do. <laughs> it really could. But once I make that decision, get out of the way because the train is leaving the station. I can relate and I'm sure there are many others that will too. Now tell us about your products because I, I looked online and oh my goodness, they are absolutely stunning. Well, I think there was a lot of, and there still is, a lot of, uh, you know, really negative, frightening information around sustainability and eco-friendly, you know, and it's very confusing and it makes people feel like they're not doing enough, which I think is insanity. You know, you're putting a lot of fear into the public and I, and I understand why fear stimulates an economy, but when it's not stimulating the economy in the best possible way. People will buy products. I believe people want to do the right thing. They want to, they want to do the right thing for themselves and their family. But, you know, sustainability, it feels like it's out of reach. It's very expensive. And, and sometimes it isn't. So we wanted to kind of bridge that gap where, yes, 
sometimes it can be, but then sometimes it can't be. But then sometimes you really should be just investing in your, in your pieces because you're going to keep it for a very long time and you're going to spend less. Like for example, I have, I've had shoes made since I was a child and it sounds awfully grand, but I mean, Northampton, England is, is still a shoe industry, not as large as it used to be, but it has a very uh, established uh, prestigious shoe industry where you got your shoes made and I have my shoes the first pair of shoes I've ever walked in I still have those I have shoes made that were made in 1998 I still have those so who's spending more me up front investing in this pro- in, in handmade shoes or somebody that's going to have to buy shoes every year mm. I've spent less they, I still have these shoes from 98 and I do take them to my lovely cobbler which is a shoe repair person's cobblers we call them cobblers in England and he just you know renovates them like maybe I put a half a leather half a rubber sock it's an all leather shoe the whole thing's leather it's like walking on a cloud it's one of those comfortable shoes and when I brought it to my cobbler here in Toronto I found a really good cobbler and when he first saw them he went when did you get these shoes I said I brought them, brought them in England I had them made he goes this is a very meaty shoe <laughs> well that's hilarious and he was right. It was a very, it's a very heavy, heavy shoe, even though it doesn't feel heavy on the foot. But I've had them since 98. And if they could I tell tales, 98, I know. And they're still going strong today. So we write about, you know, all sorts of things like clothing. We write about architecture, industrial design. We've written about electric motorbikes uh, a while ago, actually, when they weren't the fashion and they were just coming up. Um, did a fantastic piece which I'm proud of um, about uh, the toxic material being used in jewelry aimed at tweens uh, cadmium is like is like oh, a yes. lead yes. yeah yeah you know and uh, there was quite an expose on that and it, it, what I loved is you know as part of that voice I, I don't know if I um, if I, I don't think I alone changed it but collectively it got changed where cadmium has now um is now uh, been taken out of, of, of a number i think one or two retailers no longer use cadmium it's been barred completely in europe it really? cannot be used yeah it cannot be used in europe at all which is wonderful because it's disruptive it's disruptive to hormones i mean these, yes. these are children that are growing and you're going to disrupt their hormones doesn't you know this insanity it's insanity what is going into our clothing it's insanity what's going into our furniture it, 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 and and so we write about alternatives i try not to get political but in the last couple of years i have i figured if if, if politics and design intersect then i will talk about it and i will do my research and i will try and, and bring that to light because i think people need to know what's in their clothing i think you know people need to stop buying so much you know fast fashion has taken quite a foothold but this is, will die off because the new generation generation z uh is a, a very uh forthright and noble generation they're real warriors they will not get behind any products that are that aren't diverse they will not get behind products that aren't clean they will not get behind products that aren't um inclusive which i'm loving i, I came back from a, a trend conference uh, 
uh, this summer, which was fascinating that, uh, you know, that this new generation, so this is the generation after millennials of who they are. They're like little warriors. They're like little social warriors. I thought, yes, you go forward because, you know, I can only do so much, but I'm trying to do it for now, but you're the future and you need to carry, pick up that torch and carry it. So where can people uh, find your magazine? So they can find it online. It's thinkmag.net. I'm actually going to launch an ebook. People have been asking me how I got started. So for digital publishers, anybody who wants to create um, a magazine, um, I think I sent you a link today. But yes, yes, and I, uh, that was my next question is tell us about that course that you so have So actually, created. this is for the ebook. I actually decided to... I'm still in the process of writing it, but I thought, and for your listeners, for the first 50 subscribers, I'm going to give the book away for free because the book is going to be sold once it's completed. But for um, your listeners, they'll get a free copy once it's finished. And it's about really about how you get started and and how easy it is. It really isn't that difficult. How easy it is to find contributors. How easy it is to start with actually very little money. You don't have to spend a lot of money. Um, and also, I'm going to name some niche markets in that book that are very much underserved still to this day. Uh, content is still king. It's become more than more of a, of a big thing now than ever before because uh, it's really not about the quantity. It's about the quality of your content. Like The Wall Street Journal contacted me by LinkedIn to partner. I, I just couldn't believe it. I looked at it. I kept, I've actually saved it. I thought, is that is that real? <laughs> <laughs> Anytime I get like a major corporation contact me, I'm thinking, this is a joke. And I've called them in, in the past. And I got a, I got an email from so and so from the CNN. They said, no, 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 no that, that person does exist. Because you know what? You know, there's lots of interesting scammy, spammy emails, right? So I never <laughs> believe it when it happens. And I think it, ha- it keeps happening because my content is not like, really not like everyone else's. Like, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's 100% unique, but it does have its own identity. Right, right. The, mag- the magazine itself, we've had, we've had, I've had covers exclusively created just for that issue. We've shot... Um, covers in different countries in Spain, shot cover in Malaysia just for this issue where, you know, I got an opportunity it was wonderful that you don't even need to go to these countries to really do it anymore. I can show you how how I did that. I actually Skyped in and gave creative direction on set from the comfort of my sofa at 4.30 in the morning (laughs) to Spain. It was lovely. I thought, this is great. I don't have to get on a plane. It's not, it's not as difficult. I think if somebody like, has a passion, you do have to have a passion and you do have to really want it. That's your first hurdle because if you don't want it, don't bother. Exactly. And I think that's true in anything that when, when there's passion, you will achieve. You will so achieve. I was at the supermarket today and this autistic boy who's, uh, I, I mean, he probably is like 22, but he looks 18 or 16 to me. So he looks so young. Um, he told me a month ago that I may not be here because I'm I'm maybe getting a big situation, a big opportunity. I went, oh, what is it? He said, I can't tell you. I went, fine. 
I said, well, I wish you well. Well, today I saw him and I said, so what happened to your big opportunity? He said, it didn't happen. I said, well, clearly it's not meant to be. He goes, no. He said, I know there's a better one coming. I, I just love this little boy. I thought, yes, there is. I said, this wasn't the right one for you. Something better is coming. He goes, that's right. He goes, if it isn't Toronto, it's going to be in Vancouver. I said, absolutely. <laughs> I, that's the spirit you have to have if you want to do anything, really. And, and publishing, for sure, because publishing is a nasty market. I, I must admit, there's a bit of a dark, dark side to publishing and media. Uh, it's gotten a little better because we're in a different time where, right. you know, you can't really you can't really hide your light under a bushel anymore. It all comes out. That's right. Oh, my goodness. That really has changed. It so, really has so changed. So the link to the free book, you're going to send that so that the... Um the listeners can can get that correct they can get that yeah it's gonna okay. like i said it's going to talk about it's going to talk about what's happening for 2020 what you should do before you even launch a magazine when i launched my magazine it was almost a year before i launched an issue that i gathered everything together and i had all my issues for the year um, and people think, oh, just just go and just do it. It'll be so cool, it'll be fantastic. It's like, yeah, you may not last that long. Though you want you want to be able to create, you want to be able to create continuity and consistency and, and some quality and, and quality. And I I don't think I mean I like I, I mean I, I've done sixteen issues and then when my marriage broke up, I actually just stopped. I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, but I can't believe those sixteen issues. They still garner attention they still get me work they still get me collaborations which is bizarre i find uh i'm going to put out an issue for 2020 and working on that now um but it's it's it the quality will always remain and i really love that and i was very fortunate that i had a great team of i i, I gathered a great team of people together that were all over the world and some i've never met like we've never met we've only skyped or we've chatted via email and uh, they, they came on board I, I believe um, I, I kind of uh, equate it to The Wizard of Oz it's one of my favorite films I think if you believe that you were doing the right thing this is what you really really want it's like being on the yellow brick road and all of a sudden these people just show up and they help you that sounds like it's something that you could uh, tap into for the conclusion of what you really want to share today exactly what you just said You've just got to be very clear. Like I think you should follow a passion. You need to follow your passion, and also you need to follow your passion for 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 a good income stream because you, nothing's for certain anymore. This is the new normal. Nobody's getting a pension after 20, 35, 40 years, or where, however long you're going to stay on the job. You may not get that. You know what I mean? Like it, it, you may or may not. It depends. Who knows? You hope you would. So I think, you know, especially for women, we're, we're, in a, we're in a century where we have more female millionaires than we've ever had in history, ever. Mm. We have so many women with money and power and position, and there are more coming. And this really is the century of the woman. It really is. We have resources like never before. You need to eat, breathe, and live your passion. And when you decide to do that, people will come. They'll come out of nowhere. 
Well, that's quite the statement. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. You certainly have given us a lot to think about, and I know that my listeners are going to want to take a look at your magazine, take a look at your website, everything that you are, are have talked about today in encouraging. I appreciate it, and thank you so much for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. You're a thank prime. you so much for having me. You I are. Love, I ad- Sorry. I'm so thrilled to have done okay. it. It's I just, really <laughs> it's been a privilege. It's I been just, a privilege to <laughs> finally connect with you've no idea, listeners. We've we've it's been like getting literally it's been like trying to get a, 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 a an audience with the Pope, isn't it? <laughs> I said that before, which it's been years in the making, but I'm thrilled. I'm so happy we are we're and like I said, it's been a privilege to really connect with you. Thank you, Carol. All the best. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope, featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.